Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, January 21st. This is episode 211. I am Tony. I am Dennis. And we need to warn the listeners, our ever-faithful listeners, that we are recording remote again. So if we talk over each other more than usual, that is why. Yep. And also, if I sound weird, it's because I'm on the back end of some really nasty sinus infection that still is kind of beating me up. Well, I hope you pull through. I do, too. The listeners need you. So what have you been up to, Dennis? Actually, surprisingly little. (laughs) So in terms of fun stuff that we would talk about here. So I had hoped to be done with the RoboCop Rogue City game by now. I tried to push through last weekend. It's longer than I realized. So every time I thought I was at the end, there was another chapter. And I've started losing to another boss And so I still thought I would have been done by now, but because of AGDQ or Awesome Games Done Quick, that's all I've been doing in the evenings is throwing that on. I've not played any video games in the last week. I've been watching other people play video games like a true nerd. So long story short, I have for one week played RoboCop and then for another week watched AGDQ. And that's really all I've done with my downtime. Other than that, I've shoveled a bit of snow because as you know we've suffered with some very arctic temperatures especially this last week so it's yeah been, it's been it's bad. been a joy i've not walked to work for two weeks because the sidewalks haven't been clear and it's been too cold so this has been like okay well and it is what it is what about you i uh, i've been doing much the same as you uh very little except for i had some sick mech mixed in there and um i've also not walked to work but that that's because it's you know how long would you? Miles to work. How long do you think it would take you to? I was gonna say, how long do you think it'd take you to walk um, in? To walk in, I don't know. I I did an estimate run, looking at it. I think I could make the run on a bicycle in about an hour. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that'd be that's pretty long period of time. Yeah, sort of. It, thing. Yeah, it, it takes me right at twenty minutes to drive. Mm, so and, and yeah, and all of the roads are forty-five to fifty mile an hour the whole mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, I, uh, I don't usually time it anymore. My walk in, uh, with the, all the crossings and everything, it's actually, it's about, if I'm not really pushing, it's about 32 minutes, which would make sense. Cause it's almost two miles. And right. I normally can like kind of casually walk, you know, one mile in 15 minutes, but there's streets I have to cross and stuff. So I have delays with the traffic. Uh, and then my drive time is seven minutes usually, even if the school's in session. So it's, um. Uh, very easy to just say, you know what? I'll just drive in. Let me just ten tail. Let me just get in the car. <laughs> so According I do that. According to Google Maps walking route, uh, it should take me three and a half hours. Yes. See, you can't because you can't just walk up the interstate. You gotta you gotta take a safe route along the highway. Well, it, it, it's it's safe route includes um, several miles. Like five or six mile or four miles. It's four miles of um, walking along a two lane road with uh, no shoulder and just deep, uh, uh, very sharp fall off <laughs> drainage on either side. Mm. So yeah, I'm sure you, that's you might be want some really safe. At, <laughs> you might want some. You might want some hiking hiking boots for that route. At four in the morning. Yes. Actually, their route their their route has me walking to a certain point, and then I get onto a path that goes through a park that is closed at that time, uh, and 
it actually doesn't take me all the way to work. It ends a, it, it says, oh, you're close enough when I'm on the opposite side of a, 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 a creek. So I would have to still walk another mile, mm. looks like, from what they've actually, where they're showing the stop point at. So, Okay. Well, might not be the most efficient way. Probably not. Okay. Well, uh, in order to save your voice and the fact that we, honestly, at least I don't have a lot of content in the pinball section. This will probably be a shorter episode, but- we're For doing the beginning it because, of the year is always like that. Eh, that. That is true. That is true. So let's go ahead and hop right into pinball. And I've really only got four topics. One will be a little bit of a discussion one, but I don't think it'll be particularly long because it's similar to one we've done before. But I'd like to go ahead and start with Stern Pinball's Jaws. Now, we already did our big discussion about the reveal on our last episode. I don't know if you've watched any of the gameplay that they've put out since then. I caught one little video. They did a little 16-minute video that was pre-recorded as their first gameplay. I didn't watch the live gameplay, so I've talked about that on the Pinball Show, but I didn't know if you had seen anything that you wanted to talk about regarding the gameplay. No, I've not really watched very much on on it. Okay. Well, and a lot of people will just be like, you know, go check out those streams if you really want to know more. There's no real, I don't think there's a good way to recap other than being completely almost reductive and being like, you yeah, know, let, let's just cliff notes what was already a pretty short video. So he flipped, he flipped the ball and it went to the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got, you know, some of the baseline rules and stuff. It's sort of a, if you don't have the game in front of you, I don't find that particularly helpful to dive into. Uh, all I can say is that it's, it feels like there's a lot to do, which is very consistent with Elwin and Nagel and how they've approached things like how, you know, Godzilla's got tank multiball, bridge multiball, kaiju battles, you know, collecting your allies. This has a lot of those different things that you can go about and do in the game as well that are all kind of themed around the movies. So what I do want to go ahead and note, mostly so I can have a title of this episode that plays off of this, because there have been two other podcasts that have title episodes that play off of this, is the controversy of Jaws. No, 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 no. The controversy is not uh, Roy Scheider not having his face in the art. No, 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 no. It's not that they have the rights to use elements of Jaws 3 and Jaws the Revenge, of which I know there are some shots of Jaws 3 in the video assets. I've seen them. No, it's why doesn't the shark eat the ball gate? Because that's a thing. Apparently, the community has decided, and I use that term very loosely, has decided that this game had to have a shark that eats the ball and that there is not a shark that eats the ball means this game is a failure. How? Because they decided that that was the most obvious toy and the game don't have toys. Because if there's not a shark that eats a ball, the game doesn't have toys. And this is what's wrong with modern pinball is it's not 90s pinball. And in 90s pinball, shark would have eaten ball. Now, I've heard that on the Stern Insider Pinball podcast that they have, I did not listen to this, but I was told this, that the design team was on that, as they often are when a new release happens. And they indicated that the very early design of the game, they made a mech of a shark eating a ball. And it wasn't fun, so they got rid of it because of all the logistics that go into what is essentially a glorified scoop. But I just I wanted to note it, one, because there's not a lot of content to talk about, and two, there are apparently a number of people that have basically thrown a fit about this. Now, I'm of two minds of that. One, you know what? At the price of these games, 
if that was a deal breaker for you or you or or you want it to be a deal breaker, absolutely let it be a deal breaker. We're talking multi thousand dollars. If you need a shark to eat a ball to spend seven thousand plus dollars, by all means, don't buy the game. If if that's the make it or break it, I have probably vetoed the idea of buying a game for less. So I totally understand that. I also saw someone, I think this was in response to Triple Drain Pinball Podcast, which was the first one that kind of, that I heard that really dived into this topic. Uh, and someone I thought had a very, it's just on Pinside, on the, in the, in the Pinball Network thread, I believe. They had a very well reasoned uh, list of kind of what, what they mean when they say wanting to see the shark eat the ball. And a big discussion about toys and how toys, you know, did a lot more, especially in the nineties, you often would see a lot of toys with mechanical interaction on the play field. And now there's sort of this, uh, impression of, I can't remember. They used the phrase I've, I've heard it and seen it before where people are saying shots are the new toys now. And everyone's always talking about the geometry and not about the toys at this stage. So what I wanted to explore with you, Tony is I think when we already got your, uh, your impression of does the game have to have a shark eating a ball? Uh, but also kind of what your thought is, though, on this notion of of modern pinball isn't doing enough with toys, because I think that's a that's a better complaint to me. I, I think I can see that complaint. Uh, I think the notion that it has to have the shark eat the ball is kind of crazy, especially if they tried it and they're like, it doesn't work in a way that makes the game fun, because then the complaint would be that, oh, it slows the game down or, oh, it breaks the flow or whatever other issue there is. I don't know that are toys that important. I mean, some toys are, there should be some, I'm not saying go to the old days where there was no toys at all, but I I definitely think any toy that has zero function, zero addition, or actually slows down and breaks your play is a net negative. I mean, bash toys are fun, but they don't slow down and break play where, uh, how many times did we wait for the T-Rex to pick up the, the ball in the old Jurassic park or stuff like that, where it just completely breaks the game flow. Uh, that's a fun toy. Yes. But at the same time, when you're having a good game, it really breaks it when you're sitting there for 30 seconds. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think games, don't necessarily need toys as long as they're fun to shoot uh, and that they provide a good flow. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's very interesting and it's definitely a very, very personal decision for people. Uh, I tend to fall much more in the camp that you just expressed. And well, first, uh, again, I've already, I think, made it pretty clear, especially people have already heard me talk about it. But regarding this specifically and the shark eating the ball, to me, absolutely not. I, I get the, where if someone were to sit down, you know, you've had a couple of beers, you're with your buddies and you were coming up with Jaws pinball. It's almost so on the nose to say shark eating the ball as a toy that in a way I'm glad they didn't do it because it's such a low hanging fruit concept. Uh, not that I really care if they go with a low hanging fruit concept because it could make a lot, it can make a lot of sense to say, I mean, it's, it's so obvious that it's like, why didn't they do it? And it's also so obvious that do you guys really want the game to write itself that, I guess that 
simplistically that we're going to do that one thing. I just think it's weird that uh, maybe not too weird because I've seen it before where everyone's just sort of not everyone, but a lot of people are kind of rallying around that maybe because they want to hang their hat on. There's just something about the game that they don't care for and they want to blame something. It might be a little bit of that. And some of it might just be they really want things to be that obvious. I haven't seen this much toy uh, blowback on a Stern game since Mandalorian, where, remember, everyone just got really hung up that the Baby Yoda figure didn't move. They were just really mad that it didn't move. So mad that someone made like a 20-plus page install guide on how to install a moving Baby Yoda, which Honestly, I thought was the silliest thing, but I know people who bought that mod and put it in because they absolutely wanted that baby Yoda to move on your comment about the toys. That's where I think the, you know, I totally understand if someone looks at it and they feel like it's too barren, it's too barren. They don't, they want it to be full of toys. And that's what they remember from the nineties. That's where I think a lot of this comes from. Cause obviously if you go back to the eighties, there just weren't, there were not a lot of toys, especially uh, uh, if we're talking pre late eighties, there just weren't toys on the play field. But um, uh, yeah, I agree. Like to me, the, the gameplay and flow is the more important thing because to me, the main thing about the game is, is the fun, not the look. So I don't really think shots are the new toys. I don't like that expression because I think shots have always been really important. We just saw a lot more experimentation earlier we go, especially if you go back to the EM era, because quite bluntly, a lot of EM games are exceedingly unfun because they were just trying all sorts of stuff. They were, but they were selling so many games. You knew you'd just move like, oh, is that a, that's a dud. We'll just move on. But that's why you have like Bagatelle and stuff. Some of that's just carryover from pre-Flipper that they were, you know, still... That's what they knew, and they were trying to work it in, and all the rest of it. And I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily go down that rabbit hole. But you mentioned the the Daddy East Jurassic Park toy, uh, and the case in point I always like to point to is a game I know broadly is around a theme you really like, and that's Maverick with that steamboat ball. Oh lock. yeah, that ball lock. Yeah, it's uh, another one that I don't really have hands on uh, experience with. Is the uh, what was it called? The Grabber on Jurassic Park Two. The Sega one, that's supposed to be a really slow ball lock. But it's like, does the steamboat look cool? Oh, it looks cool. After the first time you've done it, though, are you really enjoying yourself sitting there watching? And here's where I think the difference is. Uh, And again, people, if that's what they care about, you know, more power to them. It's their money. Absolutely. Say what you care about and, and push for what you want. Those toys were more important in the 90s because these were operated machines, and the whole goal was to get people to look at that world under glass and drop coin in. It isn't about people going back for their 50th game. There was that churn, the churn of the people walking into the 7-Eleven, the churn of the people walking into the arcade, and they needed things to be eye-catching, and toys were eye-catching because when the game's not playing... What else could they do but have toys on the play field? But in today's world, these games need to stay entertaining. That's also why where we have a lot of people who complain, myself included, I I try not to do it so much on the podcast, but like privately, I get deeply frustrated with just how much rules knowledge you need to be truly successful if you can make your shots on a lot of modern pinball games. I prefer more simplistic rules. There's a reason why I greatly enjoy having Iron Man over Iron Maiden. But part of that issue is, in a home environment, how long does a shallow rule set last? 
So, the, I mean, the pinball companies are responding to the fact that we have home collectors now by making games uh, that prioritize being fun to shoot, not prioritize being eye-catching candy that people will drop quarters in. And likewise, why the rules are so complicated now, because for the homeowner, they're, they don't, they being stern, don't want their homeowners to feel like after six months, they got to get rid of the game. But that's what's going to happen with a pin bot or a taxi or possibly, you know, unless you truly love it for nostalgia reasons, like touring the mansion and Adam's family or getting to the end of Cactus Canyon, they're not the hardest thing to do. So, right. Anyway, so that's where, why I think it's changed. I don't think it's about cheaping out per se. I just think it's like gameplay and flow and fun and just the enjoyment of it. That This is the home market. That's how they actually keep them. Having a really cool looking toy, maybe it pushes people over the edge to initially buy it. But if they start flooding the market secondhand, that undermines Stern's sales because they can't sell new ones because people are flipping the old ones. And that's where I think it comes from. Any final thoughts on that? No, I think that's been covered pretty well. Well, uh, next couple topics we're going to probably fly through a lot faster. One is regarding Princess Bride Pinball. We've touched a little bit on it. We remember hearing something about it a number of episodes back. We got an email after an episode where we, incidentally, I think coincidentally, talked about Princess Bride, and we just happened to get an email. I was listening to Slam Tilt Podcast, uh, their most recent episode, but I heard it yesterday. And actually, what I heard there was that Princess Bride is happening for P3, but it's not a first-party multimorphic game. It's a third-party game. Interesting. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Because we've talked about it being a good theme. Yeah, it could definitely be a good theme. I'm I'm interested to see how it works as a third-party theme because being third-party, I wouldn't think there would be much in the way of – like a different insert uh, uh, module, a different module, and use one of the other modules. So I'm interested mm. to see how that would be worked out. I'm also interested to see how a third party managed to do the get the licensing rights for that. Yes, that uh, I mean, obviously, where there's a will, there's a way, I suppose. And it, maybe it's beyond an individual. Maybe it's a company. There was an image. I think it was sent to Don's Pinball Podcast that's been shared since. But it was like a close-up of a captive ball, which to me would suggest that this would be a third-party module, which has happened before. Nick Baldridge did that with Drained. So, True. So if someone's actually gone ahead and said, you know what, let's do a licensed third-party module, uh, maybe maybe it's Nick. I don't know. I don't know. I Again, other than that first email just saying Princess Bride is happening, I've never received anything. We haven't at eclecticgamerspodcast.gmail.com either. So that was our one email. But – uh, you and I, have, yeah, yes, and we've we've talked about that. And in fact, what it's so interesting to me about that is, I just read. It's a very short. I don't have a link because it's basically like one paragraph. <laughs> but I wanted to go ahead and note. I just read yesterday on Nap Arcade that there's a, a purportedly from Nap a new pinball company that's coming out with Little Shop of Horrors. That's such a great movie. And so I wanted to go ahead and give you an opportunity to opine a little bit, because you have mentioned to me before that you think Little Shop of Horrors would be a good pinball theme. I I do think it would be a good pinball theme. Uh, It's one of those uh, kind of quirky little niche things that's out there, but it's got a good music, uh, uh, enough comedy that you could do a lot of fun things with it uh, when it comes to the rules and layout. It, it gives itself the obvious uh, desire for 
a big bash toy, uh, obviously of Audrey too. Um, and I just think it would be something that could play well in the kind of, uh, styles that we've been seeing in pinball lately. Um, I'm not sure. I think the big question comes into once again, licensing, like always do they, did they get the important songs? Did they get which songs do you consider important really, uh, in little shop, uh, and just how well it all pulls together. But I could see where it'd be a lot of fun. I was trying to think when we last had a musical as a pinball machine, the only thing I could think of was data East's Tommy is based on the musical. Right. And I can't think of one. I think that, I think that's it. Write in to click to gamers podcast at gmail.com. If you know another one, um, I want to use 76. Yeah. Well, we all have our own uh, preferences. Honestly, if there was going to be another musical pinball machine. I really would have thought it would have been Hamilton at the peak of the Hamilton craze. I could see that. I, I, I could definitely see Hamilton, uh, because that was a huge thing. The only other one that readily comes to mind would be, it would never have surprised me if Spooky had done Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, Rocky would definitely make sense as well. But I want to go ahead and use this to uh, end our pinball segment with another sort of theme discussion. Yes, we've had these before. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the most tired well to farm. But again, we're like 20 minutes in. We, haven't, we just don't have a lot today. So here's where I wanted to go with... Uh, Princess Bride is a movie from 1987, and most people who know Little Shop of Horrors probably have seen the movie version, Mm -hmm. which is 1986. So we're in the 80s. I'm not going to confine us to mid-80s, but what are some other sort of 80s themes that you think might make for really good pinball machines? And to add an extra challenge, maybe try for us not to name ones that we haven't really talked about before. So, for example, I would normally throw Die Hard out, but I'm not going to today, even though I just did. But I'm not. But anyway, maybe like on, I don't know if there were other, uh, you know, we haven't necessarily talked a lot about TV shows and stuff. But I wanted to bring it up because we clearly, I think really right now it feels very much to me like we have finally cross that threshold where we're seeing more stuff from the eighties than the seventies as themes. And so, which is when you and I were little, like our preteen era is the eighties. So, and we'll try to keep it semi-realistic. No lady Hawk. No. Oh, oh, that could be so, you know, the Gottlieb prototype for crawl was such a, uh, we need a real crawl. And I hear they might be remaking crawl, which is funny because crawl was a flop, but Anyway, um, you know, like, for example, I thought about suggesting here's one that this is not much of a suggestion. So I just as an example, there is a rumor there was I haven't heard anything on it recently that American pinball had masters of the universe. It's like, why has not that been done? Because that was terrible. It was a terrible. But but But, no, I meant the I meant the cartoon. Oh, well, that that (laughs) that would be better. Not the the Dolph Lundgren. Not the Dolph Lundgren. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes, that was so bad. When Man at Arms uses the grappling hook to take a bucket of chicken. <laughs> oh, but uh but thoughts on things that that might make sense from the 80s. Short circuit. Oh, 
number five is alive. Number five yeah, I watched that a lot. Yeah, I don't know about doing the second one, but the, but the no, first no, one. But, but the first one would definitely be an interesting play. It's something that I feel it's one of those movies that I feel like was huge back then. And nowadays, most people don't even know it existed. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things. Maybe it was just huge because I had it on tape and I watched it a bunch. But I mean, that that could help. Uh, here's one again. I'm going to farm from someone else, but Mrs. Penn from Mrs. Penn's Pinball Podcast. She often pushed for snorks. Oh, uh, snorks! I would. I snorks. I think there's the nostalgia there, but honestly, I think Smurfs is a better pick. I think uh, for a variety of reasons would be better. Oh, Fraggle, Fraggle Rock. Rock down at Fraggle Rock. Yeah. yeah. Yo, hints. Uh, any other hints and stuff like Dark Crystal or anything you think? I think Dark Crystal would definitely have its place i bet there are a lot of people who wished it had been dark crystal instead of labyrinth from barrel i'm, I'm sure there there's several and the thing is is there there is a new dark crystal show that just came out like last year uh, and i think they're making another one they're doing some more dark crystal stuff uh so it's actually timely mm-hmm. um let's see what other I mean, we're thinking movies, uh, which is kind of route you you were farming a little bit more. E.T. was probably the one of the biggest 80s movies that could do an interesting world under glass sort of approach that a lot of people have nostalgia for, though I the licensing is probably a, a nightmare on that. Flight of the Navigator. Oh, yeah, that was early 80s. Because I remember, because it's supposed to like start in 1978 or so, but right, right. But the movie actually uh, yeah, came I out in like 86, I think, is when it came out. Hey, you know what? If you're you're tired of waiting for Steve Ritchie's F14 talk Cat, why not Iron Eagle? That would be good. I, I the the first one. Yes, the first one. The Everyone's f- thinking Top Gun, and uh, of course, but there's already the rumor that JJP's either got Top Gun or Maverick. So let's let's talk Iron Eagle instead. Right, Iron Eagle was. A good, it, it was a good movie. I really, I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, I know there's like 37 of them now, uh, because they just kept going back to that well somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr. That's who I was thinking of. Yes, and yes, he yes. was and the, he's teaching the kid to rescue his dad, right? Because that's how it works. Because <laughs> then they did like Iron because they did Iron Eagle, then like Iron Eagle two through like seven. There's like one I think they, I only saw the first two. Um, Navy mm. Seals. Oh, you know that's a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> I know it is. I know God it here. is. God here. <laughs> God help uh, me. Your God can't help you now. <laughs> um, Last Starfighter. No, oh, Last Starfighter would be excellent. Oh, I just uh, wanted, but but that's where you know how people were. I was. We were poking at. You, does the shark really have to eat the ball? In Last Far Starfighter, you have to have Death Blossom. Right, so now you're talking like an Apollo 13-esque massive <laughs> salvo of I'll say, pe- balls you don't have sh- to do it as a, if it doesn't work as a toy, though it should, I want that thing spinning around firing balls 360 degrees. I want them to hit the glass. I want it to be awful, but just do it on the screen otherwise and get around it if you can't, if you can't, just, but just, that would. Oh, but man. Just want, we're, we're trapped in the, we're trapped the gravity of the moon. What do we do? We Thank you. We die. (laughs) My favorite line. My hand was physically doing the. Oh, yes. The the the, It doesn't work when we're in an audio format. (laughs) Yeah, you actually hear it in the audio. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
for those, most people won't know this <laughs> because I never released it, but I actually, when uh, Star Wars, the home edition, the pin came out, you, you, I think you know this because I sent you a link. I actually made, uh, took their trailer and uh, redid it with my own sound effects from Star Wars stuff and added in I the background music though is last starfighter music and I throw in that line about we die at the end of the clip I never released it because I showed it to someone else and they said you know Stern might not like that and I was like I don't want to take the chance I don't want to hear anything I was, it was one of those times where I was like I don't want to hear any guff so I kept it private but uh but it exists I still have it out there I actually probably have it on YouTube just as a uh, unlisted video, but completely out there, but it just popped up because I had IMDB up because I was looking up the last Starfighter, uh, uh, the date for the last Starfighter, and it included more like this included inner space. Mm. Oh, inner space. That could be a really like if you were willing to go in with like custom plastic ramp and colors and stuff, I think you could have a lot of fun with inner space, right? That, that, that's one of those movies that, that, I mean that because that was Dennis Quaid and Martin Short, and I thought it worked mm-hmm. really well. Uh, so, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely one of those that I don't know how you would make it work. It's just one of those movies that just. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Goonies is like a. a oh, I think everybody someone's doing a homebrew it. of Goonies, and there's always talk about that. Big Trouble in China has often had a lot of a lot of love. Uh, we know there's a homebrew, or at least uh, I know someone was working on one for Spaceballs, which, uh, again, that's one where I would have thought a company would have picked that one. Maybe, I would have thought. We'll see it. Maybe it's too hard to license. Um, Rambo is another one. You know, uh, First Blood Part 2, especially if you wanted to go just sort of the action-y violence. But, you know, if you just want to farm uh, action 80s nostalgia, there's so much. I mean, there's stuff like that, which was, you know, exceedingly popular. Uh, a full metal jacket would kind of be in that boat too. The Untouchables is a personal mm-hmm. favorite of mine. The Untouchables is great. Uh, um, yeah, hey, I mean that's uh what that was a movie that uh, Sean Connery won his Academy Award on, and uh, or you could go really corny like Tango and Cash and Red Heat. <laughs> Where, did, you, did you see Red Heat where Schwarzenegger plays a, a, a Russian yes, uh, yes. soldier or police officer with uh, what what the James Belushi? <laughs> That's <laughs> a weird one. Uh, Blade Runner, another obvious one that right. probably uh, deserves it. Yeah, I could definitely see, and it would have been a good time to hit with the new Blade Runner that came out a few years ago. It would have been timely. Uh, yes, I think you don't often see like uh, straight up comedy stuff done. Like Deadpool's pretty funny as a as a pin, but like as a straight up comedy thing, though, I honestly, I know there's a homebrew airplane. So obvious. And just as long as you could have the clips for the audio, as long as you get the audio, I think a lot of people would just enjoy it. You could have it. You could actually have a fairly simple looking game with that because, I mean, there are different approaches you could take. Right. I think a lot of people might have enough nostalgia for that alone. It's maybe not the I wouldn't say it's an A-list pick, but I do think it's probably a strong contender. Trying to think 80s, 80s, 80s. Nope, I mean, a there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of famous dramas. I don't usually lean towards drama, like, you know, Enemy Mine, for example, I think might be too I, dramatic. I don't, to, yeah, it would be way too dramatic. I mean, I don't know how you would make that work in a pen. Of course, I don't know how to make a lot of this stuff work in a pen. 
Yeah, well, um, that's not our job. We're just picking good themes. That's picking good themes. It's I, it, it, it's completely blows away our the this whole mid eighties thing, but it's now mm-hmm. stuck in my head since we started talking about it. Broken Arrow. Oh gosh, Broken Arrow. <laughs> it was such a <laughs> such a terrible. I mean, it was that, like it's but like, that's like, going like to lead us. That's going to lead us down the Travolta verse where right, right, we're where t- then it's like, well, if we're doing that, we got to do Face Off, right? We got to. <laughs> Travolta just did this string of really like nonsensical movies that made (laughs) no sense at all. He just, it was like, uh, I don't remember. It was just like, he kind of got into the, he kind of fell into the action thing for a while. I can't remember when, when uh, Pulp Fiction was versus all the rest of it, but he just started doing a lot of action movies. It was just, just what happened. Kind of like Nicolas Cage had that happen. You know, he did this whole, I'm yeah, I'm in Con Air and The Rock and all the, you know, all the rest of it. But, you're right. We're getting outside of the 80s. So I think that'll probably be it for the pinball section. Thank you for playing along with me, Tony. Let's jump into video games. All right. Video games. It's the beginning of a new year in video games. And you know what that means? Layoffs. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. It's so true. The And the layoff count is high already this year. Mm. I mean, there were a bunch of layoffs going in before Christmas. Uh, so far, let's see, Twitch has laid off 500. Uh, the CEO of Twitch, Dan Clancy, uh, did a, a full-up Q&A following the announcement of the layoffs. And in that Q&A, he said, uh, we've implied this before uh, where we say we need to run it sustainably, but I'll be blunt, we aren't profitable at this point. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm deeply concerned, like, I, I, I don't want to call, you know, I'm not a panic person, so I'm not going to ask anyone to panic. Let me, for those of you who, who are listening, who are streamers, namely in pinball, because I know a number of you mm-hmm. are, I would really start thinking about having an exit strategy if Twitch fails in terms of like where you're going to go. I'm not saying move from it. I'm just saying have something in place in your mind with what you want to do. If you've got like, if you're thinking like going to YouTube or something, maybe look into what it would take. Like there are rules before you're allowed to live stream on YouTube. It's not just like already have a channel and you can instantly live stream. There's, there's certain requirements you have to meet. Uh, So I would just suggest like start thinking about an alternative place to go because I am deeply concerned that Twitch is going to be able to, to stay afloat. And one can argue, well, it's got Amazon money behind it. Sure. But well, Amazon Amazon can pull the plug. They've pulled the plug on things before. They may not have Google's reputation for that, but they do pull the plug on things. They do. And that's one thing that in the, his Q&A he said, is he said, we, we work with Amazon, but the goal is to be sustainable and profitable. Uh, if we're not sustainable and profitable, we have to have a plan going forward. So they they are very much, I mean, to, to just bluntly say we are not profitable is, is kind of a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are definitely the biggest of the streaming groups, which means also that their costs are higher because they are doing so much more streaming. But it will be interesting to see how things go. Uh, yes, because I mean you're right. They they do face a lot of. Co- I remember uh, I remember when Mixer was a thing that Microsoft was doing, and there was a lot. I mean there were a lot of kind of pro Twitch people who were I think fairly complaining. Well. You know, Mixer has a lot like they don't need as much infrastructure. They don't have to live stream as much stuff at the same time. So they've got a lot lower costs. 
But as you've noted, Twitch is the biggest, and that works both ways. They also have this huge audience and huge number of streamer, streamers, and it's border to me borderline shocking that as long as it's operated, they can't figure out how to make that work when they are the industry leader on it. Right. I mean, no one is surprised if you hear that back on pinball, if home pin doesn't make a profit. But if Stern were to say, you know, we're not profitable and it's like, but you guys make and sell the most machines, uh, it would be concerning, even though I'm sure they have easily the highest labor costs because they have more employees than anyone else. Right. And and that's I mean, with them having started opening up to uh, to allow their people to co-stream on other sites where there used to be a hard ban against co-streaming uh, with them starting to make some of the other changes they've made recently it's all painting a picture of concern and especially since they're doing so many things to try and increase the amount of money streamers get without actually making any from other sources without doing anything on their side or without increasing the payouts uh, because since they're not profitable they obviously can't increase the payouts because they don't have the money for it because mm-hmm. they're not even bringing in enough to stay to make a profit. They're probably maybe breaking even. Yikes. Discord laid off 170. Hey, that's uh, what we're using to talk to each other today. We are. Uh, and it's been working very well. I mean, Discord's pretty good size. It's, it's pretty uh, ubiquitous at this point. Lots and lots mm-hmm. of people use it. I know I follow on several different channels besides just our own. Uh, I know like my, my daughter has her friend group has a discord that is just like all of the friends put together in their own discord. It's, it's yeah, I, I'm a big fan of discord. It's easy to set up. And so, uh, and of course, when you've got lots of people using it, then you just use one app and you're able to bounce between all those servers, but they've had to downsize. They've had to downsize They're They're laying off to sharpen their focus and bring more agility to the organization. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. My guess is that it means that they were, they overstaffed while looking on a air, while looking to expand on a project or something that probably failed in the background. So Mm, they're cutting the group is my, that's my guess. Uh, But I don't know for sure. Now, unity, Unity's the big one. Now, that's not surprising, uh, though. <laughs> no, no. Unity laid off 1,800. That's a quarter of their total staff. Blame their new CEO. Right, because they they had a real bad. It's almost to the point where I'm wondering if the, the and we've talked about this in the past, if that whole rollout, that failed rollout thing back in August for their changes wasn't kind of like the whole new Coke thing. Hmm. Uh where it, it wasn't it was a, so ham-fisted right where it wasn't that, we're gonna play this real bad thing and then we're gonna settle back into something that's not as bad but that'll make people mm-hmm. happy and it's still not working very well yes uh, so they're, they're they've laid off a quarter of their total staff and that's in addition to the staff they laid off last year so they're probably pushing up a much larger percentage uh layoffs 40 plus percent mm. um Lost Boys Interactive has laid off a sizable amount of their staff. Uh, there's no exact numbers. It's a company owned by Gearbox. Uh, what do they do? I don't recognize the name. Uh, they've been doing 
little side projects and assist work with Gearbox for Gearbox stuff. Okay. But they've got a staff of 400. And oh, so that's that's a pretty big studio then. Right. Uh, and there's no firm numbers on their lay, on how much other than sizable, a good pr- mm. or section, which is no real surprise considering Gearbox it has been looking at being spun off from uh, to become its own thing again because it is with uh, oh the company just left my mind uh, the ones that have had all the trouble since June of last year Embracer Embracer yeah because Embracer has been talking about basically releasing Gearbox to be on its own again uh, as part of their tightening up of things since uh, there I don't know what Embracer's doing you'd think Gearbox would be one of the most potentially profitable things they got. <laughs> I, that would be my thought. I mean, Gearbox is a solid company, so which is yeah, why just they turn would out just some shut more Borderlands and be yeah. done with it. Uh, Behavior Interactive, they're the developers of Dead by Daylight. They laid off 45 mm. employees. Okay. Um, and CI Games, developer of Lords of the Fallen, laid off 10% of its staff in the last couple weeks. So mm. it's definitely been an interesting start to the year. No major surprises there, though. Uh, we knew layoffs would happen. They always do. And we'll see how it continues into the year, because last year was really bad for layoffs all year long. Right. Uh, I know a lot of it. We're just talking about companies that had upsized during the pandemic uh, with the giant upswing and everybody being trapped at home. And they're now they're now reducing their staff to be able to match what they're actually sales are uh i don't know if that's just an excuse but that's the thing i've seen a lot of places commenting on uh we'll see what happens going forward last time we talked about square enix leaning into ai art uh they've announced that they did their first experiments with ai art in the upcoming foam stars game which is their take on the the oh squid game from nintendo um a splatoon yeah splatoon the, their take on that type of gameplay, apparently there's a lot of in-game like album art, uh, and all that album art was created by AI. So it's a very small percentage of the art of the game, less than 1% of the art of the game, but it is their first uh, experimentation with doing AI art. So we'll see how that goes. Um, also, Ubisoft has updated their subscription model and created a new tier because uh, they are saying that uh, consumers need to get the mindsets, uh, they, they need to have their mindsets changed uh, and be comfortable with not owning their games anymore. And that subscription is the way of the future. So they've created mm. a plus premium subscription at $18 a month that includes all new releases and some early access, and their classic subscription at $8 a month that is a curated selection of popular back catalog and live games. And the big thing is they're the ones who have the streaming rights to Activision Blizzard games due to Microsoft cutting that deal uh, to get the UK to sign on board for the buyout or the merger. Mm. So so we'll see where that ends up leading. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I can understand people not being comfortable with not owning their games, but at the same time, we've seen this happen in the music and the DVD and dvds and movie industry where less and less people are buying cds and they're buying everything digitally and we're having 
the conversations like we had with PlayStation last year where people who had purchased games were about to lose access or purchased movies. I'm sorry. We're about to lose access to those movies uh, due to their licensing deal uh, ending uh, that the PlayStation had to fight to get another another licensing deal uh, signed up with for a couple of years. But I mean, that's an ongoing struggle and change that I think we're going to be seeing as more and more things are digital only. Yep. It's been a fear for a long time of what happens if X and Y end up happening. And we're starting to see those X and Y's happen. And then people are like, I don't own the thing I thought I owned. And they're like, well, you didn't really own it. And it's like, well, then why is this digital future good for me? Yeah. And I think that's a problem we're going to be seeing across the board. It just comes, it's the same thing as just, I know has talked about in the past with what happens if you have a large digital library and you pass away, that digital library just goes away with all of your access and all of your stuff. So nobody where, if you actually physically own it, it can go down to your descendants. I'm hopeful that, that the, uh, star citizen they find a way to pass that on the descendants so my great grands yes. can actually <laughs> like, play it when that game releases i'm sure yes descendants are longing <laughs> for my copy of golem yeah have you started it yet no because you no, still find i need to finish Cup. robocop you finish robocop first i don't right. like to play lots of games at once it's too confusing for me i understand it's that. bad enough i've paused starfield i'm gonna forget how to fast travel which is the only way to travel in that <laughs> game <laughs> Oh, games. Fun. Uh, Xbox had a developer direct and threw out a couple interesting titles, uh, all that are slated to come out this year. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. They're once again trying to put out a Indiana Jones game that will hopefully be good. I think the only one the, that's ever been good has been the Lego one. But mm. The buzz on this one has been very positive. It has. It's a first-person a game slated to release sometime this year. The videos I've seen of it look interesting, but we'll see how well it actually pulls off. Um, Avowed uh, is slated for release in the fall. That's a, the next Obsidian game that they've been talking about for a year or two now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Hellblade 2 is slated to release in May. I remember the original Hellblade was one of those sleeper games that kind of took off huge when it came out, but nobody expected much of it. It became a huge thing. Yeah. Um, Visions of Mana is coming this summer. And uh, Oxide Games uh, is putting out, it's called Aura History Untold. It's a grand strategy game. And Oxide Games uh, was founded by former Firaxis team members. Oh, Firaxis. I haven't thought about them in a long time. Right. So uh, that's interesting because, I mean, Firaxis drove a lot of the later Civilization games, uh, the XCOM game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see another grand strategy game that from the looks and descriptions feels very, uh, civilization. Okay. I might have to keep my eye on that one then, because I haven't played a grand strategy game in quite a long time at this point. Yeah. Everything about it feels very, uh, civilization and civilization was always a great series. Uh, couple things, last things, uh, Nintendo, uh, their shares have hit a record high uh, as expectations of the switch to announcement and speculation that Saudi Arabia is going to be investing more uh, like they've been doing pretty heavily in the Japanese video game market lately. 
uh, with their uh, uh, fund that has been dumping so much money in. We've talked about it a couple times over the course of the last year. Uh, and so their Nintendo shares have shot up. Uh, we've seen reports at this point from lots of developers that they're doing work for Nintendo on all new hardware. Um, but Nintendo has made no official announcement. And then to finish it up, I thought we'd talk about awesome games done quick. Um, Yay! which just finished last night. Uh, I actually mm-hmm. fell asleep before the final, final finale of it last night, uh, getting over this, this sinus thing. I've been sleeping a whole bunch lately, but I feel like overall, this might have been one of the best GDQs. Yes. At least in terms of structure, functionality flow, I'd say this has been, a a, a major improvement. Now, as you know, uh, but the listeners might not that AGGDQ, like so many other uh, events, this has always really been a big live event. And so the pandemic caused a lot of disruption in terms of they didn't know how to do a week long 20, you know, a true 24 seven live stream. And there were a lot of struggles with that. And then in the wake of being able to start doing them back in person, they there were just other issues. I mean, they ended up being virtual far longer because uh, they made certain decisions to quit holding the event in Florida. And so they had to pivot. And then I remember last year, HGDQ kind of happened at the regular time, but SGDQ was way early. They did it like Memorial Day. Right. Weekend. Like Memorial Day kicked it off instead of the 4th of July, which is normally when people went. So that was weird. Normally, AGDQs and SGDQs are kind of looked at separately. And normally, AGDQs perform better because there are more people who it's you're inside. It's winter. People aren't on vacation when they do it. So anyway, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Tony. I thought that. Overall, I would uh, when I'd come home from work that again, as I noted in the intro, I would usually just throw this on and and listen or watch uh, whatever was happening. I did not stay up all the way to the end. I never do. Um, However, I got I saw them hit their their monetary two point five million dollar earned and they didn't get much past it. So honestly, I probably cut all but like the last 10 minutes, probably uh, because they were near the end of the run. It was just it was already uh, almost midnight. And I was just like, "Uh, I think I'm going to stop. But. Um, uh, so, you know, they raised what, 2,516,507. I've, I've seen some other things that put it within a thousand dollars of that. So something in that neighborhood, uh, I will note, uh, now this is per comment that I saw on Reddit, so I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm going to, because their numbers didn't agree with what I've seen in some articles, but it is very close. This is the worst earning AGDQ financially. Since I don't, I, I won't say ever their numbers only went back to 2020, but it's the worst from 2020 through 2024. It's about a hundred thousand more like a, maybe 130,000 less than last year. Right. Which with the economy is no overall surprise. Right. So people just have less money sitting around to give. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I heard that. Uh, again, someone again on Reddit replying to that did note that they quit adding bits and sub money to the total amount this year. So maybe it's closer if that's included. I don't know if those are still going to that. I assume it is. I didn't do bits and sub. I just do a regular donation. But yeah, I just do a regular donation as well. But anyway, I mean, they they had in in 2022 had, and that was obviously that was one of the virtual years. Uh, but 
uh, because of their, I think that one still ended up being virtual because of their whole movement thing. But anyway, they broke 3.4 million that year. So we've seen, I mean, don't get me, I, I don't want to downplay it overly harsh because I mean, 2.5 million is a ton of money for, this is for the prevent cancer foundation, by the way, for those that were, that's what AGGQ serves that charity. And then the summer one they do is for uh, doctors without borders. So um, what were your thoughts on like highlights or lowlights of the stuff you saw? I, I will say uh, in near the end, there was an interview where they talked about how the changes they'd done this year and they had two stages so they could be prepping a stage for a run while a run was happening on another stage. And that's why they did not end up, you know, five and 10 hours behind like they normally do. And I think that's a big part of the reason it ran so much smoother this year. Uh, and I thought that was a really great just highlight, just how well uh, everything kept together. Um, yes. For my personal highlights of stuff, uh, there's a few that, because of how they fell in time, I didn't get to watch them because I was either at work uh, that I need to go back and watch the YouTubes of, and I haven't done it yet. Uh, but of the ones I did see, I really liked uh, on Saturday, uh, the, the the final the final day, they had a lot of really good runs. I liked the Mario Kart 64 All Cups utilizing Skip's run, uh, beating All Cups in Mario 64 in 27 minutes and change. Uh, there were some really cool skips in there that I'd never seen before. Um, I know they really talked up the dog playing gyromite and it was not great in my opinion. <laughs> it, it, it was very, it was kind of what I expected, but it was not as much fun to watch as I think would be thought of. Um, the other one, the one that caught me out really interestingly was the Octopath Traveler 2 run that happened back on Tuesday. Uh, I was watching that um, in preparation for the Hades run. Uh, and, and I'll admit, I ended up falling asleep before the Hades run, which I have to go back and rewatch the Hades run because I was really hopeful to see how that went. Uh, and trying to think that i think those are the ones that really jump out at me okay yeah i uh i did go back because they i think very wisely did not give the dog a primetime slot in the united states correct uh, i watched 45 seconds of it it was awful um it was he was not a good boy <laughs> i um he is basically i just i i knew it's a dog it can't do a lot but given it's a dog obeying commands, I felt I have seen like clips from TikTok of dogs that have exhibited more control. I mean, I I had someone else tell me that there was a part where the dog basically killed the guy because the dog couldn't wouldn't uh, wasn't. I, here's how I knew I, I knew it was going to be bad up front. I'm going to tell you how I knew. They had an interview with him and the with well, the owner and well, peanut butter was there too. Peanut butter was the dog and. He was, the owner was trying to get the dog to basically to speak and the dog didn't obey. And I thought this dog is not ready for prime time. This is not a good boy. So, but what a good marketing idea for donations. Yeah. So brilliant. Definitely. I, even with me, with what little I saw thinking, this is stupid and boring, uh, from a charity perspective, brilliant move. They should maybe see about having a goldfish play next time. And, 
maybe they can you know morph off of that. So that was yeah, that was not a highlight for me. I'll actually also note. Though people were super supportive in the Twitch chat. I didn't get all the way through the final game, which was Final Fantasy V, which is a game I have played. The uh there was a part where the stream the runner uh messed up something. He didn't have his character properly leveled, basically. Uh, it's a little more nuanced than that. Uh, and just had to keep trying to get past this one fight in a way, I think, to try and get him. I don't know. It was let's just say I quit counting after the eighth reset of the system and part of me is sitting there. They're not at the 2.5 million. And I'm like, is this scripted last year? Summer games done quick. There was a lot of criticism because they weren't hitting their financial goals and they had a game they wanted to have run, but they needed to reach a certain threshold. And they ended up having like the, the chat team, the couch or whatever vamp for 40 minutes as donations trickled in because it's one of those things where it's like, if we we can do this bonus game, if we hit this incentive and right. the nod, nod, wink, wink is they always hit the incentive. Well, it's gotten harder now that they're not reaching the amounts that they used to reach and they've built their estimates based off of prior year performance. In fact, I'll go ahead and spoil. He was supposed to go and fight Omega Weapon and the plan was clearly he was going to do it on the route of the speed run and they didn't have the total yet. So I think he went back and did it. Because I know they hit the total. They I turned it off when they hit the total, but he had already gone past that point and he had made a save. So I was like, oh, that's how we're that's how we're playing it. Right, we're we're being a little dishonest. But anyway, uh it was uh I kind of like it when I see streamers mess up on stream, but this guy was so hard stuck for I mean, it was over 10 minutes. I was editing a, a video at the time, and I'm just like, oh, this is this is really like this sucks. This is not this is not fun to watch. He has been stuck here for too long. Even I can't get like Schoidenfraud a joy out of it. Right. Uh, so I've so seen that ended up being unfortunate. Yeah, I've seen some similar in the past where it's gotten to the point where they've had to load like safety saves because they're just like, well, it's like there's this thing that it, it's it's we have a 90 percent chance to get it right and there's only a 10 percent chance for it to go wrong but if it does go wrong it's literally a game ender and it's three quarters of the way through the game mm-hmm. and, and then you get it it's like okay well we can either end now with an hour of dead air to go or i can load a safety save so it's always disappointing but i do not watch this stuff for people to be setting world records it's a marathon i think you know having your safety strats so that people can see the you know see what in theory, how things are supposed to be is, is totally fine. It's just, and part of it was he struggled throughout the run. I felt with his notes. He's, I mean, he had a tablet up with notes. He was clearly constantly losing place. Uh, at one point it like lost connection to the Wi-Fi, And I guess he was streaming the notes instead of just having them loaded up in a notepad, oh, I don't wow. know. but it just was not for the ending stream. Um, it, it looked a little sloppy and, uh, again, these things happen. It's just, so those are my those are my two lowlights. So let me let me end let me end you with some positive positive vibes. Okay, um, I I did watch the Hades. Ra- it's a race. The right. Hades race. That's why I wanted all, to watch all, it. All I'll say is it's super close. Nice, it's super close, and it was a lot of fun. I thought it's just really, but again, that's a game I've played so much. I have every achievement in that game. Uh, from the from the Xbox version. Uh, the only thing I kind of wish, uh, though, again, people race, what makes the most sense for them is the uh, the weapon buildouts are very similar. They use the same weapons in the same order, except they take two different versions of the final weapon. So 
it, but anyway, it was it was still watching people just destroy a game. Like I was like, they beat it three times, and what would probably take me one time was sort of <laughs> sort of how it went. So that was super cool. Um, but the last night, uh, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom run. Oh, that was so good. Very good. Uh, the key thing on these things, I think, is having really good commentary, and there was very good commentary during that run, and that's what makes it so awesome. Another one I need to call out that I think has really good commentary and thus makes it interesting is the Mario Maker 2 glitch run. It's a glitch exhibition. Normally, they do like a relay race, which is usually a, a lot of fun. When I heard it was glitches, I was really disappointed. But it was so well done, it actually was very entertaining. Probably the best stream I saw was Mario Maker 2 Glitch Exhibition. Really? Um, yes. A uh, couple other. I did watch the Octopath. Uh, oh, the the which it, that one was all right. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3. I haven't played that game. Uh, they do, they do <laughs> avoid uh, spoilers, major yes, spoilers. Uh, and that one actually uh, was pretty interesting to watch just because of the tech and stuff. So right. that one isn't the strongest on commentary, but it, it's decent. And it was a good ending game because a lot of people uh, love that game. And it was a good stream. So I thought that one was really good. Not Legends of Zelda good, but it was very good. Um, I didn't really click with the uh mario 64 drum any any like drum percent or something but a lot of people really loved it so i'd say if you are into seeing games played differently there is a guy who plays mario 64 with a drum set and he was actually good at it yeah i just i it's too gimmicky to really click with me but uh but the crowd loved it so uh and it, and it and it paces really well like you can see the struggles with how a drum works but he didn't like he knew how to do it too. So it wasn't horribly, it wasn't horribly broken or anything like that. So I think those are probably the, the main things that really clicked with me that I watched, but um, I thought it was, yeah, uh, the dual stage thing. I did not know they were doing the dual stage thing until the interview at the end on the last day. But I was like, that was so smart. Yeah. Cause this is the first one that it actually ended on Saturday. Normally it ends in like the middle of the night, like five or six in the morning, Sunday morning. Cause and it, the, yeah, it, well, yeah, and and I guess one of the nice side effects of it was they ended up being able to throw in a lot of bonus games with like they'd throw in a bonus objective for a whole bonus game because uh, like one day I got home and I turned it on and Death Smiles was playing and Death Smiles wasn't in the schedule. That's a shoot 'em up. Yeah, so they had enough. They'd earned up. Apparently, they were freeing up enough time that they were able to stick in all these other games where a lot of people who are there to showcase one game, but they actually know another game. And they'll sometimes if it's a less popular game or whatever, they'll they'll do it as a as a bonus. And they were just able to get a lot of bonuses in that weren't in the main schedule. So, yeah, I thought I thought it worked out really well for them. I know in the interview when they were talking about it, they were talking about how, how it used to be you'd lose two to five minutes minimum per game, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a whole lot until you realize you're talking about over a week's worth of time. Uh, and then this new system seemed a lot better and they they seemed uh, the host and everybody involved seemed to be more conscious because it wasn't 6 a.m. on Sunday morning when the everything was supposed to have ended eight hours earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time there was a time in these GDQs where you knew the last day, like the last day was going to be listed as it was going to be into Sunday and they would just end with like a six hour RPG and just let everyone go to bed. Yeah. Except those those runners and no one would be in the room. It would just be basically it's just like, yeah, anyone who wants to watch like 
It's like we're speed running um, Final Fantasy two. Uh, what's the speed one stat strat for Final Fantasy two? Oh yeah, you just play through it. <laughs> oh okay, cool. <laughs> I, that's one of my. I I've never been a huge fan of the super long game being in these things. I I personally and it felt like this year. Uh, maybe they do some in the late night hours, but. I know that's a popular late night AR thing for them. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I watched that was under two hours, which, I mean, basically, if you're going past an hour, you now have a long speed run. So, uh, I mean, in theory, that Final Fantasy V was supposed to be two hours and 50 minutes was the estimate. Oh, by the way, let me go back and whine a little bit. They modified that before I turned it off. I saw someone went in and changed the estimate to three hours because the guy got hard stuck on the antlion for (laughs) 10 plus minutes. I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. His estimate doesn't get to change just because he sucks. We all like the, but then you get the Boulder Ski, the eight minute Boulder Ski three run. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was so, so interesting. Also, I, uh, uh, once they, I, I'll probably eventually get that for my console. And I'm like, you know what? I might, one of my favorite things about watching these, these games, uh, seeing stuff like that is to take some of the, the basic things and applying it to my own gameplay. So, like, I think I'm going to use Bear Tech. I think that I'm was gonna, hilarious. I'm going to use some bear tech in mind, kind of like I used uh, the Doom 2016 speedrunner had some techniques for the final boss. And I was like, I used those. And I was like, it works. And it made the game so much easier. to play. <laughs> I love it. So anyway, overall, yeah, I thought it was it was very, very good. It was. I, I quite enjoyed it. So I always do. Well, do you have anything else for us, Tony? That's what I've got. My voice has definitely been taking a turn down here towards mm. the end, I've noticed. So. Yeah, I tried to I tried to fill in with my with my criticisms of Final Fantasy runs and ant lions and everything. Else, I, but- I, I fell asleep. Uh, the Final Fantasy, I fell asleep probably a half hour into it uh, mm. after it started. Um, oh, uh, and, the, and the, honestly, the runner himself, he, he was good. It was I get it. It's it's an almost three hour game. And if you miss one thing up, all of a oh, sudden yeah. things are really complicated. Uh, it was just like i'm also like you guys you're not i'm looking at the the math i'm like they're not going to reach 2.5 million they're not going to reach two and they're like well i guess if he stalls out 15 minutes on a on a thing that's not even a boss maybe then that's a bunch of crap it's not fair at all i i will say i don't think either of us mentioned it um i did enjoy uh the lost judgment run the kaito files lost judgment uh like a dragon yakuza run thing. Oh, I I missed most of that one. It 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 was pretty good. Uh, it was mainly driven less by the game and the speed run through the game itself, uh, though that was good. So much as by the runner and the commentary team uh, was very, very funny, uh, and I quite enjoyed that. I mean, because otherwise it's just a yakuza game. So right, you beat right. people and up. You do. You do, but you can do it fast, which is right. Not what I did, but is the <laughs> is the best way to play it, I'm sure. But those of us who want to tell us what they thought was fun or funny about the stream can uh, write into us at collectedgamerspodcast.gmail.com. You can also uh, reach out to us at facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. You can support the channel through Patreon, patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers. We're on Twitch and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Will there be more news? Who knows? It's early in the year, so probably not a lot, but we'll cover what we've got. But until next time, my name is Dennis. I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.